0: This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self storage. Welcome to Self Storage Income. Welcome to Self Storage Income. The podcast that we talk only and everything about self-storage. Isn't I mean, that's that word, it, Connor? Yeah,
1: that is that is completely and totally it. Um, we also talk about uh, uh, amazing, incredible, uh, you know, American freedom-loving oh. things as well. I mean, yeah, I just, it's the only do. podcast you need to listen to. <laughs> exactly, all-encompassing, super
0: inspirational, motivational. Super, I, mean, I mean, we talk about everything. Exactly. You just wait. It's those those will come. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, I'm actually a excited about this topic because it's one that we haven't covered. I'm a total nerd about it, not just self-storage. But today's topic on uh, really like make it or break it and the economic trends that we have in the United States, what we're seeing, why self-storage is relevant, where it came from, and what are the forces that are going to take it to the next level or destroy it. And these are obviously incredibly important for any investor. I don't care if you're active or a passive investor in self-storage. If you're trying to understand it, you can't understand it unless you know the forces that created it and are making it successful. Um, and it is not just that Americans are greedy and store want to store a lot of crap. Although I know a lot of people think that that's just why it exists. It's not. <laughs> that's and why it's so, so successful. And people think that they're going to wake up and, and not do it one day. Um, that is definitely not the whole story. So we'll get into that. But before we get into that, we have to mention our wonderful, incredible sponsor, Janus International. And specifically... Janice's no key products, which we have in our facilities. This is, we believe, the wave of the future. We strongly believe that a keyless entry system is long overdue in the industry. Um, it is something that we are so accustomed to, and the gateway to access people and their wallet books have become the cell phone, and people expect things um, immediate. And if you can't do it on your phone, then, you know, it doesn't exist. So, uh, obviously that's not for everybody, but it is for the vast majority and every single year it is more and more and more. Exactly. Um, as of right now, it's well over 50% of all your tenants are looking for storage on their mobile device. Easily over 65%. We get our online rentals, um, Uh, or how people find us online is right around 80% of all our tenants. And of that 80%, um, the vast majority of them are all on mobile. So Mm -hmm. if uh, why that matters with keyless entry systems is because keyless entry systems allow you this no key product to rent your storage unit on your phone, open your gates, open your door, take, move in, leave and not have to work with a manager all from your phone. Um, I I mean, I don't even think you need to say it, but the competitive advantage there is obviously extremely large. A great way I like to look at this is we had around 20% of our new tenants at a facility that we opened that utilized no key to rent at our facility. These people were not located in the area. They rented from us because we were the only ones that allowed them to. That means our market was 20% larger than all our competitors. So that's an advantage that I will take all day long. Two, they are the least price sensitive tenants that you have. They're not nearly as elastic. They are there because of the convenience and they're there because of the opportunity, which we were the only ones. They are also tenants that tend to stay the longest as we found because they are out of state. Um, they need to be able to do this hands off. Um, So it opens up a market for us that we hadn't already had. So with the Janus product, it allows you to do this. Now, the great thing is when, when we first did it, it had to be wired to the storage unit itself. Now they have their battery-operated parcel that goes on. And so you can adapt that into storage facility and units with that are already existing. This is a great play and one that we use. So Obviously, we have a value-add strategy. We're turning those facilities around. And now there's an opportunity to not just update looks, but functionality, which is rare unless you want major capital expenditures. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an outstanding way to um, make your facility stand out. Renovate it and make not only the look look better, but the utilization of your facility entirely change. So, it's awesome. Please check out our show notes. They're in there. Check them out, everybody. And with that, let's continue. One of my favorite topics, economics. It's uh, something that is greatly paid off to me in my studies um, through Business when um, we were doing mergers and acquisitions, developing a wor- worldview and understanding the reason things are happening to identify trends, um, what's going on. It was the cornerstone of our move into self storage um, because it, uh, you know, it, if you understand economics, it's, it's kind of like seeing the future, like how things will happen. And so when we look at the United States, where we're at today, um, there's a lot of reasons we're here, and there's a lot of reasons we have seen such a massive change in real estate. Real estate isn't what it used to be. A lot of people are nervous about real estate. We just went through the largest real estate crisis ever, and the most stable real estate asset classes, which were retail, um, are now failing that entire model now has been turned upside down and is severely broken. Um, And people don't even know what to do with it or about it. Nobody wants it though. and uh, We do. (laughs) We do. Yeah. For other reasons. And if you look at the hotel industry and what's happened through COVID, um, all of a sudden we're sitting here going, this has been a terribly rough 15 years for real estate in the United States except for storage. Um, And so these dynamics that have changed so much when storage before 2008 was mostly overlooked. It was a junkyard industry. It had been turning around, but Wall Street funds didn't really play in it. And the complications of operations or what seemed to be complicated drove a lot of people away. Um, Most of that has been solved. Uh, The models used to understand asset performance through macroeconomic trends um were tested and it passed. Uh in fact it passed better than almost all other assets. And then the ability to manage through technology property management systems um things like Noki, all these things have made it substantially easier to manage and you can also hire a third party manager to do it. Uh these were things that you know before the 2000s that didn't really exist. This has completely changed the landscape. But before we dive even deeper into why storage is here um, and where it's going to go and what we see in these trends and what's affecting it, we need to go back a lot farther and we need to go back to the good old US of flipping A. And uh, the US it has an interesting economic history and we're at a very pivotal point that is causing unrest and a lot of other things, which is typical in any country's history and um, time. So the United States, we left the dollar, um, which had a lot of great things about leaving the dollar. So the fiat currency allowed us to control money supply and that allowed new uh, debt products to be allowed. That allowed us to do things that was not possible. Paul Volcker figured out how to control inflation through interest rates, which I'm total nerd because Paul Volcker has my heart. That big bald guy. He's <laughs> he uh, is, his monetary policy was just so enticing. Uh, yes, he's really genius. The, he he yes, the way that Fed chairman uh, uh, <laughs> let interest uh, let interest rates rise, um, but it stopped. He figuring out how to stop inflation through interest rates the ability to pump money um, into the economy. This became a major tool for the United States to uh, utilize and control these contractions, right? So with these business cycles or these economic cycles, which principally have two. I know this is a lot of backstory, but it's going to make sense, and it's we've got to have a foundation to work off of. You have long-term and short-term debt cycles. Uh, short-term debt cycles are generally controlled by monetary policy through central banks, the Federal Reserve, um, and most cases that is due to interest rates. They control my supply um, and the cost of money, which changes the way people behave. And the more money that they have access to at a cheaper rate, the more they buy, the more Expanse, economic expanse you have when they raise interest rates and change the cost of money higher, economic uh, activity contracts. Um, These are recessions. Um, They are purposeful and needed, and um, the government does this all the time in order to slow growth down. Um, If they don't, it gets wildly out of control and then crashes, as we've seen in 2008 after decades of uh, very, very low interest rates and piling on unsustainable debt with um, new products that people didn't understand, insurance pro- products on collateralized debt obligations. So this financing, which why does this matter? Well, this is real estate, monetary or, uh, 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 money supply, interest rates. Are, there's nothing that really affects <laughs> real estate more um, as far as buying and building and supply and demand. These are costly assets. And so if you can borrow money cheaply and build, then you can grow and that industry can grow. But while this was happening and the change that we saw is we've had a historical boom in the United States after the war as um the united states became the dominant player we solidified that and we never had a um power that would even remotely question the authority of the united states um that created in general peace times um so yes there's wars but nothing like the great wars of before that we saw the reason being is the united states was too powerful are too powerful. Our military is bigger than all of everybody's combined almost. So that created peacetime, that created growth in the United States, buying. um, And then the focus was on economic policy and prosperity. The housing boom from the baby boomers came up and we started focusing a lot more on how you acquired, buyed, supply chain, um, and we started to move products offshore so consumers could get cheaper things. And now we live in an age where you can get things in literally two days, um, online. It's uh, outrageously cheap. And if it's too expensive, don't worry. Cause you can finance everything. You can finance an oven, <laughs> right. you can finance a microwave. I mean, you, there's nothing that you can't finance. Um, that wasn't even logical in the eighties. We, I mean, the thing, how we consume Um, You couldn't have even explained it to people in the 80s. If you wanted to buy a motorcycle, you had to have cash or you didn't buy it. Um, This change in how we finance, uh, this change in how we consume started to change landscapes. It started to change cityscapes. It started to change traffic flows. And we see this today um, with retail apocalypse happening. The movement of people, where they live, how they are being affected, is um, changing how cities are planning. It's changing how we utilize products and services. Um, We have ginormous warehouses that Amazon builds and less retail centers. Um, This affects a lot of things, and it greatly uh, affects everything in real estate from retail uh, multifamily, um, housing. Um, it, uh, affects storage facilities. Um, but when you look at these forces, these were all forces that are driving, um, um, need for storage and the driving need was, um, com- it was, was paired up with stricter policies from cities, um, on how we can utilize the land that we live on. Um, You know, we can't do anything we want in our yard anymore. You just can't go park things out in the street. Um, Cities won't allow you. Neighborhoods have rules. Um, We're very stringent on what you can do. And that is also tied in with the cost of real estate because of incredibly low interest rates, large money supply um, skyrocketing. So everybody's building, um, cost of homes since the early 1900s have exploded in comparison to, um, wages. So that means people can't have as much, uh, we live in much denser, uh, um, areas than we did before. And if you want to add a garage onto your house, that is a pretty flipping penny. So the economic forces driving consumption have benefited consumers. They can buy and finance things that was unimaginable before. All meanwhile, the um, economics of home ownership and real estate and space um, have, I don't want to say hurt consumers, but it's not nearly as practical Um, between the regulation not letting us do what we want um, on the land, and I'm not saying that's bad, I'm just simply saying it's the way it is, Um, we want things to look nice, we don't want junkyards. Um combined with the uh, uh, the overall amount of space we can have uh, afford as an American, it created a spread. So now we can buy stuff easy, we just can't house it. Um, this is also another, uh, then we're moving on to phase two. So this is this is the economic phase and kind of the process that was going through through the uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And then we had the disruption through retail. We've had the disruption um, from how businesses are operated. And what it has done is it hit, we've, we've seen a major dissection of business functions. So the internet has allowed us to perform uh, lots of businesses, not all located under one house. In fact, we have major companies after COVID, especially that are like, we're not even going to have employees come back to the office. So this is starting to disrupt office space. But what it is also doing is it's made home businesses an extremely viable thing. And it's made businesses don't want to pay for the extra real estate. So they need to house things. You have a last mile problem for the shipping of products and services. Um, for consumers that has not been fulfilled and can't, in lots of places can't be outside a major, major cost because of the location of the people. And so, um, it's not effective for small businesses and, um, large businesses to buy up major swaths of ground within populated areas for last mile delivery. That's just another point, which comes with tremendous cost. So we have all this stuff. We have all these businesses that are fragmented, um, We have more rules. You can't run businesses out of your home. You can't store stuff there. Um, The economics of storage are fantastic. And it, once again, these are economic forces. It's not just Americans are gluttonous and one day they're going to wake up. In fact, that's actually proven the opposite. As um, we've had stagnation of wages, consumerism has gone up, which seems counterintuitive, but it's not. It's obvious. I can buy a bike for a fraction of the cost that I could 20 years ago. Um, And I can get it while sitting on my couch and then look at it and not use it and keep sitting on my couch. So uh, the idea of who utilizes and how they utilize the storage is changing. Um, The uh, operations, point of sales, moving products, everything, medical supplies, um, that's all now being housed at a storage facilities. We have major retailers like Macy's, um, and different people like that that use our storage facility to store extra product because they're not going to go put a lease on major commercial area and they're not going to spend in the cost of what it takes to build it out. It doesn't make sense when they can just lease a large storage unit and utilize that. Um, we have, uh, some of our facilities, 30% of it is taken up by businesses. Now that was not how it used to be. So when you look at these economic factors of utilization, And where storage is headed, it's really important to understand the economic forces that are driving it. When we saw this, it was very clear that the um, monetary policy that the United States had adopted that was um, keep interest rates low, flood the markets with money, would change the uh, prices of assets. So after the last recession, we knew that the te- next 10 years was gonna be very, very good for real estate. So we dove fully in um, and we'd owned it before, but we'd stopped in 2005 because real estate didn't make any sense. Um, but we started back up after the recession because of this understanding, um, areas are, are, are growing. Um, people are moving, having children on and on. They can buy more, have less. Businesses need operational support. Um, They need this last mile solved. So this has caused for an environment that this overlooked asset class um, outperformed others because while the economic forces were delivering demand to storage, it was taking away demand from other asset classes. Airbnb starts popping up, taking away from hotels. Then you have COVID on top of that. Um, You have, um, uh, that's also, was taking away for a lot of different leisure activities and industries. Uh, Retail has been weaning. The the apocalypse of retail, we need to understand too, was not just an apocalypse from Amazon. Um, Retail was easily twice. So commercial real estate for retail was overbuilt easily by two times through the 90s. It was just a building boom. They viewed it as a bond. It was like the safest investment you could ever go because... Obviously, these big box stores are never going to go out of business, right? It's like a T-bill. So when they did that, there was huge demand because it was considered so safe. And so they just built like crazy. Because remember, consumerism was dropping. Or the price, uh, the cost of consumerism was dropping. Everybody had a problem with Walmart. You remember that? Walmart was the big evil person because they were giving us cheap stuff. We all complained about it, but we still shopped at Walmart. (laughs) Um, And so all of a sudden, you had all these, these... um, class A and quotation marks product types that all at once in one decade seemed to be borderline useless. And in the last few weeks, well, one of the reasons this is so important um, in the last few weeks, it's just like headline after headline of all these retailers that are just, they're calling it. They're going bankrupt. Yep. Um, and they weren't doing good before. It's not just because of COVID. This is just the nail in the coffin. So, When you take all these factors in now, this is the past, we now understand where we're at. um, The United States has lost some of its levers to control the economy. This is the next thing we need to understand. Um, I'm sorry. This is totally nerdy, and there's half of you are probably asleep. If you're driving, um, please listen to some upbeat music. Because uh, although I think yeah. this is cool, uh, I know a lot enter, of people don't. <laughs> enter music, exactly. So, um, but when when we look at where the United States is and where it's headed at, at this very point, um, the United States, uh, one of its mate so there's multiple levers that the the central banks and governments use to affect economic output. Um, you have the uh, influx of money, so changing money supply, interest rates. Um, Then you have things that have been introduced in the past, like World War II, and that's where the government goes and puts people to work, infrastructure pays people, which tends not to be that effective. That's why we didn't do it in a big way in 2008, um, because Bernanke, who was a scholar of the Great Depression, um, understood and wrote a lot on it, that that was a misuse of funds where the problem was was systematic in the banking and you needed to stabilize the financial system to deploy money. So instead, they started up something called um, Q. Uh, quantitative easing relief programs where the central banks started buying up bad assets. So they just said, oh, well, all these bad assets that are causing problems, let's just take them out. Let's just take them from the banks. And we will have the central banks will hold it on their balance sheet because nobody really cares. It's like they just disappeared. And all of a sudden banking banks became really healthy because all the bad debt was gone. Um, which solidified the banks. They did major capital injections. That's part of trying to bring interest rates, get money out there, which rises the price of assets. Um, that's their was their third lever. We, the reason this is important, the reason we're talking about it is we're seeing this today. So the government's trying to make sure the economy survives. Interest rates are already low. They can't use that lever. It's already been blown out. They're buying up bad assets. That's their go-to now which hasn't stopped since 08, which is a huge problem we're not going to get into today. Um, and their next lever that they're now trying to use is just sending people money. And that's the new way they're going about it. So we're just going to cover your salaries. Um, and we're also just going to be sending you money. So the balance sheet of the central banks, um, which is a lot of people view as like voodoo science, because it they've, they feel that there's no repercussions of it, which is a misnomer, but I'm not going to get into that now, um, is exploding. Why this is important to self-storage. All right, now we get to look towards the future. Okay. Um, now, if anyone that's awake... Anybody that's still with me. Uh, <laughs> and AJ has a huge smile on his face, even right I'm now. I'm so he's... excited. I'm just like, this is just, this is the best thing ever, and uh, Dude, I apologize. Well, and it, and it really is,
1: because <laughs> in, in all seriousness, it is, because if you're not looking at the, the whole picture, uh, again, just like the title of this, this whole entire episode, you know, you're making or breaking something, and knowing the factors that are going to make or break something is something that we we absolutely have to know as business owners, investors, whatever you are, to make things happen, to be successful, um, and to protect yourself. I mean, you've got to be able to see the whole picture, identify the risks, mitigate those risks, be able to, quote unquote, I know you mentioned seeing the future. Obviously, nobody has a crystal ball. No. but. Again, you can identify trends. You can yeah. make educated choices, decisions, calculated decisions, um, and all of this stuff is, is – is, I mean, you're proving it right now with
0: everything that, that you've done
1: with storage.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: again, you talked we about – We got out the, of
0: office space yeah. because we believed that the internet was um, causing less demand for office space mm-hmm. because, once again, you didn't have to do everything in an office, and we – I had an underlying theory that if you could choose to work in a cubicle or at home, you're going to pick home. Um, And uh, we're seeing uh, a a lot of this stuff play out. Now, let me make this very clear. We say apocalypse. There is, retail's not going away. It's not. Now, it's never going to be like it was, and we've all had to readjust and... Um, We work with sellers of retail. We're under contract with four major retail um, spaces and outlets as we speak, and we have to have conversations with the owners because their value, so how you value real estate is based upon the revenue associated you could get from it, right? So whatever the revenue that you can get from it, whatever multiple or cap rate or whatever you apply to that determines the value. They're valuing it at something that no longer exists. So they're sitting on a space that's been s- empty for years um, mm-hmm. and they want to value it as if we were in the golden age of retail and you have, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods or whatever it is that's <laughs> going to come in and sign a 15-year lease at this high price and that equals $10 million. No, yep. that doesn't exist. It's straight. not happening. And sometimes they need to wait a couple of years and they need to fill... The pain and realize, okay, this isn't happening. And then they come down and realize it. So what we we practice doing and what we do is we walk through the owners and the sellers uh, a new valuation to come up for their assets and why we come up with it based upon yield. And so I'm not saying it's a piece of junk. I'm not saying it's worth it. I'm simply saying the yield that can be received from this asset is X. That means your value is this. Unless you can find somebody else that can get a different yield, then obviously you can price it at that. There's just nobody else. Um, so that requires a revaluating of a major portion of these assets. Grocery stores are still doing very well, doing very strong, um, but other commercial uh, has severely impacted. I don't need to beat that horse to death. But uh, when you look at that for storage, we're repurposing those assets. It's one of our major... Uh, um, Acquisition strategies. Uh, once again, we have four under contract, some closing very, very soon, which we're working with the cities, and the cities are great. They understand we've got this problem, um, but this is a paradigm shift in real estate, um, and a lot of people, funds particular, are looking, saying, you know, wh- how do we work? We we have to allocate capital. Individuals want to invest in real estate, but they're going, you know. Geez, I, I gotta tell you, the 2000s. I mean, everything that was told that was supposed to be the golden rule: housing prices never go down, retails like bonds, they never, they never default. It's the safest thing you can have is commercial uh, retail. All those things are just out the window, right? It was like nothing can stop leisure hotels, major hotels, anything. And then Airbnb popped up, and it, it was it just tend to be like one after another for real estate. And it's not that scary. It's not that complicated. We just have to understand what's happening, right? Hotels aren't going away. Um, This year was beyond disastrous for them, but I still plan on funding a hotel and doing a development uh, of a hotel with uh, one of my friends. And so... When I look at our investing strategy, and we're looking at these long-term trends, I said this a lot, but I believe that self-storage offers the most opportunity because self-storage isn't going anywhere, and the economics behind it. Now, there's there are um, there are things that have uh, uh, technology that has come in and tried to disrupt storage. It's happened. It's going to happen. Um, you have things like clutter. Um, one of the problems though, you have operationally speaking with those business models is two, twofold and why I don't think they make sense. They say, we're the Airbnb and Uber for storage, right? Well, that's a tagline everybody likes to use to make themselves right. sound way better than <laughs> they are. Uh, but one of the problems you have with that business model is they come, they pick up your stuff, they take it offsite. So it, the business model is this, they, they have real estate outside the city. That's much, much cheaper they house everything in there, then they employ people to pick up via an app, archive and then take it to their housing and then you recover it by choosing what you want and then they bring it back to you. So the problem with most places in the United States is the spread from the cost of real estate that I can buy and put a storage facility on and you can buy outside of town doesn't cover the spread of all the employment you have to do and the cost of doing that. And two, what we found is like we talked about some of these trends before where you're talking about um, how people utilize their homes, their goods, and how that's happening is storage is an extension of your home. That's our, that's our tagline. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that. So, uh, <laughs> throw, that in there. No, throw that in there real quick. But um, storage is, is we say an extension of your home because it is because the, the trends and the economics of it make it so People utilize storage like another part of their home because it's cheaper. And lots of people, they can't afford or get loans to add extra space. So they're utilizing this as a garage. Delivery service has a hard time matching that. A lot of people want to put it away and forget about it, but they want access to it anytime. Now, I'm not saying those business models aren't successful. They're going to be. They're going to take a segment of storage. They will. There's a segment of the population that on demand storage is extremely good and will thrive under it, but it, it's not going to make storage go away. Um, so, but you need to understand those, those impacts. So there will be changes to the business models. There will be technologies that will disrupt like other real estate asset classes. That's not going away. Um, that will continue, but the forces that cause demand in storage have not slowed down and Unless we think that those economic forces that have been true for, since economic forces existed, um, are going to go away, which that's a pretty safe bet, in my opinion. We're going to be able to consume more. I mean, look what Amazon did. Um, And we're going to be able to do it cheaper. Um, And housing, real estate's only going to continue to grow. So that means that we're going to need better options. And storage is becoming more mainstream. It's more in our conscious um, people are more aware of it and it's more commonplace. So it's not weird or crazy or anything else like that. Um, it's becoming a stabilized asset class at the end of the day, storage, who was in its infancy is now in its stride while these other real estate asset classes classes, they were at the end of a, a economic phase that is all too common. They popped in the nineties. They expired, and now they're on their downfall. Um, Storage is not in that part of the cycle, okay? So we have short-term, long-term cycles, debt cycles. One, the government controls. The other one, they don't, okay? So now we're going to talk about the macroeconomic cycles, which is the compiling of debt, compression. This happens once every 70 to 100 years. That happened in the 30s. It happened in 2008, and we're still probably actually not over in that cycle, uh, because we can see how the government's lost control. The government's lost control because the levers it used aren't working. That happens in long-term debt cycles, which is scary to people. That's why in 2008, the world was ending, because it was. The government couldn't control the economy. They had to go to extreme measures. They had to take over banks. Look what they're doing now. They're mailing checks to people. Um, when you look at these effects, some of the underlying things that people assumed about real estate was completely wrong. So people said, no one's going to default on their home and keep their $100 storage unit. Not only was that not true, everybody defaulted on their home and storage uh, demand surged. Why? Because it's I can keep this and I can keep my valuables at a cheap price, but this is 1200 bucks a month. That's a hundred. I'm defaulting on that one. Um, and so when you look at that, then comprised with the mobility of millennials, the lack of access to capital, and the wage stagnation from the recession—you uh, now have more demand than you've ever had. And it, now, uh, when I say ever have, I, you, you got to understand demand and storage—it's—it's been—it's like up a point, right? But when you're talking about ten uh, percent of the population, these are general numbers. Um, Use of storage—we have seen an uptick, nothing dramatic. But when you're talking that little, it's—it's it's a big move. Um, And I don't see demand to continually climb in storage, but it will remain strong and more people will use it. Um, So these are the things we look at, at the future of storage. Now, we also talk about the other economics since we're in our infancy. It's an industry that's consolidating, which makes there more inventory or more possibilities for you to acquire and update because these are old asset classes that before the big technological revolution came, were built, and you can use that as an advantage you can buy the inventory you can turn it around you can use all the things we talk about on this podcast everything we do combined with technology to change operations and have an amazing asset class that produces cash flow so when i say i love storage i really love storage He's and legit. it's like and it's these reasons why it the, that picture is so clear to us um mm-hmm. this isn't us this, like right it It's identifying, I need wind in my sails. So if you fight the economy, you're losing, right? If you fight consumers, you're losing. Um, Storage was something we identified that the consumers and the economy were going to make us successful. That's how you build wealth and income. Trying to fight consumers is a stupid game because they make the decisions. Trying to fight economic forces that you have no control over, and as we've seen, the government hardly has control over, is a failing game. And storage... Is one that's not. Now, multifamily is another. That's an obvious, right? Um, multifamily has increased. It's been a great investment. So there are bright spots. Um, once again, the other asset classes that I'm talking about, they're not going away, but they, they, they've matured and they need to be analyzed, valued much, much differently than they have before. And as an investor, you need to understand that a lot of those are decelerating values and People that may be having, have those asset classes or selling them are underwriting them on preconceived uh, notions or models that are outdated or don't make sense. And with that said, you're, you, you could get yourself into trouble by acquiring them. Um, and debt is so low right now that there's major, major, um, pressure on the big ones. So apartment buildings, the pressure has been astronomical. People buy them at any cost right now. Storage facility, because it is still new, a lot of people are scared to venture outside major markets, um, where apartment buildings, nobody's scared to venture outside. It's, it's, you know, it's there, they'll buy them anywhere. So once again, this still leaves opportunity for you. You're not, I'm not saying you're getting 10 caps or anything else like that, but you could still get a good deal. Um, in markets that are tremendous pressure for multifamily and other asset classes. So these are, when we talk about these underlying trends and waves, we're on a boat, we're riding the wave, we're just trying to tune up the boat, make sure our team is is ready and the wind in our sails, and we're making sure we don't crash, and we're along for the ride. That's the way to go. And the these economic forces are not stopping, they're only going to continue, Amazon's going to continue to grow. It will be rivaled. It will be challenged and eventually it will fail. We don't know when, um, storage will mature. Um, I think that, uh, we're still, I think in an infancy phase, I think that the, not the maturity, but I think adolescence or where apartments have been, or maybe retail was in the eighties, um, where major institutions are now involved. It's a very known asset. It's right. There's, A million podcasts about it. Um, That will happen in the next 15 years to storage. Um, It'll still be a great asset. It'll still be awesome, right? It'll be much more of a standard in 15 years. And then from there, you know, who knows? It'll end up maturing just like all the other ones. But the runway is super long. And the wealth that can be generated from it is crazy. Now, with that said, we can always go to war. We can always end up in a depression. Technology could make it so we don't even need to live in houses anymore. I know way less than I do. So I just deal with what I can see. And, you know, the rest is faith and luck and let's let's move forward. And so when I look at the side that I can't control, you want the odds in your favor. The side I can control, I can pick good deals. I can turn them around. I can create margins of safety. So even if the sea ahead is rough, I can weather it. That's what you control. So I picked long-term great trends that will carry the ship. I just need to make sure we don't sink. I need to create good uh, 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 cash flow and good margins that can protect me for overbuilt markets. That's the number one thing in storage. We've talked about it a million times, but this is also another economic uh, problem with storage. We, I just talked about the good things. That's the bad thing. They're cheap. They're not like apartment buildings. Lots of people want into them. Uh, lots of people think that they're easy, and if you build it, they will come. Um, so the number one death sentence for storage is storage. I mean, overbuilt markets. It's you, you. You can't fight it. Like it doesn't. You could be the best operator in the world, and if your market's severely overbuilt, it's going to impact you. So avoid those things and that'll keep you out of trouble and I don't see those things changing so when we look overbuilt markets is going to continue to be a problem in the United States that's not changing in fact it's going to get worse why because more people are they you know there's lots of sm- people that are so much smarter than i am and they're noticing and they're, or they have noticed these things they're pouring money into storage like crazy they're building they're trying to buy everybody's trying to get a hold of this runway before it ends up like apartment buildings or those other asset classes. And so overbuilding's going to be a problem. So we just need to realize that. That comes down to microeconomics. Do your homework. Buy facilities that have room to grow, not are at the peak, and somebody comes and the market gets overbuilt, and then all you have is downside. You'll be good. Just follow AJ's new book. <laughs> That's right. Think. That's right. We'll just plug that right in there.
1: <laughs> so... No, um, I mean, no, uh, I, I
0: apologize. I, that was like verbal, just explosion through the mic. Dude. But it's, I love this stuff. It's yeah. so fascinating. And it's exciting for me to share with other people. Cause I'm like, guess what? Guess what? You got to see this. Can't you see this? Can't right. you see what's happening? Yeah. Can't you see what's going to happen? Um, it's exciting. It's the reason we started Cedar Creek up. Cause I, yeah. I, I knew that after we'd acquired all these facilities and after we developed a management company and a process that would work, I said, we, we have whatever it is. I don't know, a decade, 15 years of, of harvest time. We need to take advantage of it. And so we started Cedar Creek up to really start acquisitions, to really take this to the next level. Um, because I'm still so bullish on the industry and mm-hmm. I'm still so bullish on what's going to happen over the next 10 years in self-storage. I've tried to get into other asset classes, but it's just not as clear to me. And, um, I'm, you know, once again, I, I, I don't know a lot, so I got to stay away from all those things that I don't know because I don't know so much that's going on, where storage outlook to me is simpler and clearer um, than a lot of the other asset classes so I can play in it. And uh, so, yeah, we're we're building up, we're growing, we want as much as we can, um, and we think we have a great runway. We, seriously in 15 years, you guys are all going to be listening to this podcast and it, we're going to have lots of great stories. There's going to be updates and you're going to say, yeah, I remember when you guys started up, you know, Cedar Creek. Now, you know, <laughs> you got a billion in assets. You can, yes, we'll, we'll have that recorded. So when it happens, we can celebrate, um, or but, I mean, even 10 billion I don't know. It's, who knows? That's right. Who knows? <laughs> so, uh, but, and hopefully all you guys get to come on our journey with us and you guys are out capitalizing on it too. If it works, if it fits for you, um, but I may be a little biased on the industry, but, uh, you know, once no, it's, it's, again, it. it's not that there's not bad things coming. Right. Right. There's markets that are bad. There's markets that are overbuilt. Storage is so prone to overbuilt. It's 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 frustrating. Um, that's why REITs focus on first-tier markets where it's really hard to develop and build because they want to protect their asset class. Um, so it's it, it's not that there's not danger. It's not that it's, you know, apartment buildings have long-term leases. We have month-to-month leases. Yep. Um, there's way... There, there's benefits to these other asset classes. There's g- great, amazing benefits to them that don't have in storage. But the advantages that are in storage, I think, are for those of us starting out or those that want to grow. I think those advantages lie very heavily to those people. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree
1: more. Like you said, um, it's a very fragmented market still, it's not consolidated like uh, apartment complexes are. Um, again, like you're talking about, we got that huge runway lot of opportunity and uh no it's a fantastic time for people to to start looking at storage as as their asset class of choice um and it just in the markets again have, have shown time and time again that it's it you know just backs up everything that you're just talking about um, as far as stability and um, where the economy is right now where they are
0: in their cycle um and these are long-term phenomenal. cycles right. i'm talking about right sure short-term cycles i i mean when we're looking at it yeah i see chaos in the short term but i could be totally wrong short term is so unpredictable i don't even try it's like i, I don't even know long term's unpredictable mm-hmm. but i just know that there's basic forces that over the long term create outcomes right. um the short term, to me, I just, once again, who knows when we end up in a war? Who knows when, you know, China decides to want to be the, you know, currency of choice or whatever that may be in the short term that I can't see and I don't know. So I, it's it's hard for me to even try to guess those right. things. So I focus just on the big picture and microeconomics, the local, the three mile where your storage is, and everything else, just hope and pray. Yeah, you no, exactly,
1: exactly. Well, kind of ties into that and that Warren Buffett theory of. I mean, he's not checking stocks every day. You know? yeah. I mean, yeah. you're buying, holding, long-term yeah. view, vision. That that should be the goal. And it's funny that, that so often it's not. It's completely yeah. the opposite. Even though we have all of this information and all of these successful individuals that are doing just that, looking with this long-term view, we still, and even professionals in these, these fields, still continue to do that. And obviously – where it makes sense,
0: obviously it makes sense. I mean, if you're yeah. day trading and that's just is what what you do, whatever, but, um, but you're no, right. When I mean, we get, just... we get questions. And, and one of the reasons we're bringing this podcast up because is now a good time to invest yeah. in storage. And I'm like, in what context, right? right? So is today and what town in what city, what asset who's managing it? How are you getting financing? What's the structure of the deal? I mean, I don't know. Right, right. now in the overall <laughs> history though, of the United States, do I believe that self-storage, now's the time to buy? Well, I believe that the time to buy was 10 years ago and 10 years before that and 10 years before that. And in 10 years, I'm going to say the same thing about now. Right. So, yes, I think now is the time to buy. <laughs> do it. Um, so, yeah, do it. I think it's a, a, a great, great time. Everything else, though, is very localized. Don't forget that self-storage is hyper local. Love it, man. But Hey, uh, we're continuing our our, our giveaway for the modelers, that gold, right? We, t- we talk about that money left on the table, all, all that sitting there, the model that shows that and how to underwrite that. Um, and so if you do that in the big modeler, if you leave us a review on Amazon for our book, leave us a good review on Amazon, five star on the podcast and a review, you get both of those modelers. And, um, also I think, are we still doing the 15 minute call? Yeah, we're still doing the 15 minute call. If you leave a review. I was going to say, I don't know, man. So <laughs> that's, that's up to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know how you many you yeah. can do in a day, but <laughs> we, yeah, we're, we're keeping it kind of, uh, uh, until I get too swamped. We, we may have to cut that <laughs> off, but it's, it's still going to, get I, I, I I really enjoy it. So that's my problem with it. It is really cool. I like it. It's really cool. So and uh name of the book. Oh yes. The investors guide to growing wealth in self storage. It's the playbook. So check it out on Amazon. We will be rising the price, raising the price. I've kept it this low, nine ninety nine. Um, we're trying to make sure that everybody, all you guys get a chance, particularly our listeners. We still have emails coming through, we're still sending people, but that will go up to nineteen ninety nine. Um probably next week we, we got to see him working on that but i it's weird i don't want to because i'm like i just want people out the book i'm like right. I, I just but i need to raise the price um yeah. so uh, we may do that but i hope that was helpful guys and i hope now um you can all wake up so everyone uh, wake up we're ending now uh, <laughs> coming dealer, out of the trance dealer, like... anyone <laughs>
1: oh, i love it man thanks a bunch guys for listening we'll catch you next time
0: thanks everybody.